Go to our copy of God's Word, and we're in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, we've been in this chapter a while. We've been in the Gospel of Mark for a while as well as we've gone down through these uh, these uh, verses, you know, one on top of the other, right? Verse by verse, precept upon precept. And as we study out this, uh, you never know what issues arise sometimes, right? And you look at the different texts, and I purposely like to go expositionally through Scripture. That way the Lord can, can work on us uh, as we go through and study His Word, as opposed to just the preacher picking topics and trying to figure out what everybody needs, you know, because I always get it wrong. So I just like to go down, and this is the safe way of doing it. Uh, we do sometimes deviate from our study and go into uh, certain areas of topics and other things, but uh, I really think it's important. You study the Word of God, cover to cover, Front and back and in the middle. Every jot and every tittle, right? That's it. Jot and a tittle is the smallest characters in the Hebrew language. And you know what? The Bible is the Word of God. And so we have it this morning. And it's a privilege. Let's read a few verses here. We're going to read verses, the first, uh, this little paragraph, and then we're going to jump down uh, talking about Peter this morning, the Apostle Peter, the disciple Peter. And you remember last time we left off with Jesus in the garden, and he was betrayed by Judas. And the crowd of people came and got him. And uh, that lays into uh, the, that night of uh, Jesus' betrayal where he'll go and he'll stand before uh, different people and be tried. And we talked about that false trial that would arise out of this. Well, let's begin reading Mark 14, verse 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with his servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now, mind you, at this point, Jesus is under arrest, and he is going to be tried by these men in the middle of the night. Let's jump down to verse 66, and we pick up Peter again. And it says in verse 66, Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them. For you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed, and then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Our Father, again, we are privileged to hold the word of God and to open it up this morning. Thank you, Lord. You've given it to us even in our own language that we might understand it. Help us, Lord, today to apply it to our lives and to discern what is right. Thank you for the testimony of Peter, even in the failures that he had. But, Lord, thank you that it was not the end of his life, the end of his story. And we ask, Lord, now you would just work your work this morning. Teach us as only you can. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to this section, I often find this a a, a sad account in many ways because one of the men who was closest to Jesus, his 
his follower, Peter, right? Remember Peter, he was called of God and called of Christ directly. He was a fisherman and a very simple man, all right? Actually, later on in this section, it says they knew he was a Galilean because his speech betrayed him. People from Galilee were not known for their, uh, their, their eloquent vocabulary, nor were they learned you know, people. They were simple people often, simple fishermen. But I don't want you to misunderstand Peter was no one who's ignorant by any means. He was a very smart man. Later on, he would be used of God to write uh, two epistles, and he would also be the one who would preach at Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, on that day in Acts chapter 2, as it's recorded, and thousands of people would come to faith in Christ on that day, and the church would begin. And yet, we find Peter, this sort of simple man, and I say simple in the sense that he saw things kind of black and white. He made decisions rather harshly and quickly. Uh, for Peter, it was a yes or a no. He was a hot or a cold. He was that kind of guy, impetuous in his, his demeanor and everything else. And we see that in this case. Actually, earlier in this chapter, you remember, when Jesus talks about being betrayed, Peter's the one that stood up and said, maybe everybody else will, but I won't. And, and Jesus told him, you will betray me even this night. You will betray me. And even before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. The other gospel writers also include this account. It's a very important account because I think not only does it show the, the failure of somebody, but it also shows the heart of Christ. And that's really what we're about, right? We're, we're looking at Jesus Christ. We're looking at who he is. And I don't know where you are today walking with the Lord. Maybe you're not at all. Maybe your, your relationship has grown cold. Maybe you feel like Peter that you've denied him. Maybe denied him even recently. I don't know. I'm not with you. I'm not omniscient. But God is. Jesus knew exactly what would take place that evening. And throughout the night when Peter would find himself warming himself by a fire. And there he would deny the Lord. And he would go out from there and weep. And as Matthew's gospel puts it, he would weep bitterly. Bitter tears going down his cheeks because of his failure. And we have our, our moments of failure, of denial, all of those different things. And can I assure you, right at the beginning of this message, God is not done with you. He's not done with any of us. So long as that heart is beating in your chest, so long as there is a breath of air in your lungs, you can turn to him and you can call on him and he's there and he's quick to restore. He's quick to save. Oh, he's God. And you know what? Jesus uh, is the one who Peter looked to and would later be restored by. We see here uh, in some ways, as I said, a very sad account. It's also an encouraging text because if you end there, it wouldn't be. But if you look further, you will find this was not the end of Peter. This was not the end of his life. It is not what he would be known for only. And that's good. Because there are things in our lives that maybe we've done or looked back at and say, man, I really blew it there. I blew it. And you know what? It doesn't have to be the end story in, the, in your life. We see Peter in his rejection. And <clears throat> you find here it's helpful, first of all, to kind of paint the scene a bit more. The Jewish leaders have arrested Jesus. There was that Roman garrison that was with him, perhaps 400, 500, 600 men. It's hard to explain or hard to, to picture exactly how many were there. But there would have been a large contingent of soldiers based on the wording of the crowd that was there. And so this was no small gathering. This was 
you know, uh, middle of the night, a lot of people all gathering, and they go there uh, and do that. You find that uh, even before this, Peter had acted upon, you know, trying to protect Christ. It was Peter who, according to the other gospel writers, uh, took a sword and cut off the high priest. Well, it's in this section too, just before this, cut off the high priest's servant's ear. And I said last week, it's not because Peter was probably trying to cut off his ear. He was trying to cut his head in half. And he took the sword and he missed. A good thing. And we know from the other gospel writers, Jesus actually healed that man, put his ear back. And his name was Malchus. He was a servant of the high priest. He would have been in the priestly order. And according to the law in the book of Leviticus, you'll read this. Nobody could serve as a priest uh, anymore if they had a defect of any sort. Uh, very interesting, huh? Uh, and so that man, if he had had his ear removed at that point, his life as he knew it, his service to God would have been over, all right? And yet, here he is, not really serving God. And yet, it just shows grace on the part of Christ, right? Isn't he gracious like that? He's so gracious to us that he's able to take that which is even, you know, physically impaired and restore. And someday for the believer, you know what? We'll be fully restored in heaven. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Well, not only was he going to do that, he was also going to be gracious with someone who should have known better, which was Peter. And we see that as he does that over and over again. We know that according to this text, the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death. They brought him to, eventually, the uh, house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And in doing so, uh, that, that, by the way, has actually been un- uncovered in archaeological uh, uh, studies in recent, like the last 10 years or so. They have found the courtyard of most likely it was Caiaphas's house and he lived in a very palatial place it was it was something like a palace all right it was something that was very opulent for the day and so you kind of picture Jesus being taken to this home there's an outer courtyard most likely it's there in that outer courtyard which now has been uncovered by archaeologists in Israel and there uh, those that were gathered it got chilly they began to warm themselves by a fire. And Peter finds himself in the midst of that. But even before that, really, Peter is an interesting character because as quick as he was to react to defending Christ, he's also quick to reject Christ or deny him. And of course, God or Jesus knew about that and told him about that. And you find this round of denials that take place. And it's kind of a a sad testimony, really, it is. And if you... If you know, um, there's other details from the other writers. And and when you study the Bible, I think it's important to do what I call the harmony of the Gospels. When you come to the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel records of Christ's life and ministry here on earth and his death and his burial, his ascension into heaven, all that's recorded. But each one of the Gospel writers presents a little different angle on things. And sometimes some have details of miracles the others don't. And some have come along, skeptics have said, Cha, shows you that the Bible's man-made, they couldn't get it right. Well, no, not at all. If I was to be standing here today and all of a sudden, you know, we're sitting here and, and, and you heard this screeching of tires and, and you heard this big crash out here at the intersection of Fox and 25th. And just by chance, some of you were staring out the window. Maybe some of you were in the parking lot. Maybe I was standing here, saw something. We would all, if we were interviewed, have different details about what we saw. 
Now, hopefully, the, the event would be the same, right? Maybe two cars collided or something like that. But one of you might say, well, it was a red car with blue trim, you know, something like that. I don't know if there's such a car, but there, there might be, you know. And, and others would say, well, I didn't see the color, but I noticed that there was a woman driver and a man driver, all right? Uh, and then you have these different events and everybody sees it. If you were a lawyer, you might be standing out there and you would see it from the legal perspective. Oh, that guy was clearly at fault or that woman was at clearly at fault or whatever. Uh, a doctor or somebody in the medical profession might say, wow, I think there's injuries here. And looking at the damage of that vehicle, that person probably is injured. And they'd be seeing a medical perspective. A police officer might see it entirely differently, you know, or someone else. And uh, one of us standing here might see it a little differently, but we would be witnessing the same event. When you come to the gospel writers, they bore record of Christ, his life, his sinlessness, his perfections, all of those things. And they bore record of those things. And each one presents him differently. Remember, Matthew presents him as the king of the Jews, as the one who came to seek and to save his people, the Jews. And Matthew is written to the Jewish mind, primarily. We Gentiles can read it too and should and understand it. You come to Mark. Mark is the servant, right? He is writing to the Roman mind. And that's why we've, as we've gone through this, we've seen those words that would have uh, gotten like soldiers and slaves to, to listen up when you hear Jesus uh, a command and people did this immediately or Jesus himself did this immediately. You see the perfect servant of God who willingly puts himself as really a slave, doesn't he? And I, I'm so thankful he did because God would use him, uh, that servant, that slave in perfect in every way to deliver all of us. Oh, praise the Lord, because we are enslaved to sin, aren't we? Well, you have Luke who comes along. Luke is a medical doctor, probably the only Gentile writer of the New Testament as well. And you have Luke who presents Christ, and he presents details surrounding Christ that others, no other ones do. Luke writes to the Gentile mind somewhat. And then you come to John, and John writes... And he doesn't begin with the birth of Christ. He begins with the eternality of Christ, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And he begins with creation. And he goes way back. And John presents the miracles of Christ. And he, he presents the deity of Christ. Who he is. Uh, at a, at a, uh, his divine essence in that. And John presents him as that as well. And each one... As you read through them, you get different details. So I don't have time to do all that today on this account, but you'll find little extra details in each one. Uh, for instance, you have in Matthew chapter 26, uh, let's go there, this account, in Matthew chapter 26 and in verse 71. And we'll start in verse 69, excuse me. And you have the three denials of Peter. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, You also are with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. Now the wording that is used there when the little girl speaks, she does so in a voice that everybody hears. That's important. This sometimes we think of it as kind of a little private dialogue that was going on. And Peter is being called out in front of all these other people in this courtyard. And this little girl is the one that does it. She says, oh, hey, you were with Jesus. She uses an outdoor voice, okay? And Peter immediately, no, no, you got the wrong person. Uh, you know, another guy looks like me, not me, all right? He denies it before them all. 
And you, you go down through that, and look what it says in verse 71. And when he had gone out to the gate, uh, gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath. Now, in the account of Mark, it says cursing and swearing, okay? And the swearing part of it is swearing an oath, all right? The cursing is actually cursing, okay? And so you, you kind of picture what's going on here on this second denial. Uh, he curses, he uses words that only, you know, people who are not followers of Christ would be using. And he says, oh, you know, my mother's grave. I'm not the guy, all right? You know, people do that. They swear an oath of some sort, saying that what I'm telling you is the truth. And that's, that's even worse than denying. You're denying with an oath. You're lying twice is what you're doing at that point. And, but again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later... So in rapid succession, all right, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. He had probably an accent, uh, maybe the way he said certain things. And, and we know that, that that happens with, uh, with people, right? You can tell if somebody's from the St. John Valley, right? Uh, if you could be down in wherever. I mean, I have been on the other end of the state and heard people talking and I, ha, they're from the St. John Valley with the French accent, all right? I, I know. And it's not a Quebec French accent or a New Brunswick French, French accent. It's the St. John Valley, right up here, northern St. John Valley. And you can, you can catch that, that diet, you, you know, not even in a different language. You hear it in your own language or you know they're, they're south of the Mason-Dixon line, right? I mean, because the, 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 the southern drawl right, that comes out, you hear that. And then and every now and again, you get people that, you know, come from somewhere where there's not much of an accent, you know, uh, Brad, you know, guy like that. No, in Colorado, right? Uh, no, but, you know, Midwest, West, somewhere in there, you know, sometimes uh, you can kind of peg people. You say, you're not from here, are you? And that's what they're doing. They're cornering Peter. And every time, as the pressure builds, he denies and he denies and he denies. I think all of us have found ourselves in situations like that. Um, if you're a Christian, you know there are times where you'll be called upon. And you have, you know, somebody say, hey, you're a Christian, aren't you? Hey, you go to that church, don't you? Hey, didn't you, aren't you into, you know, Bible study or something? like? And, you know, you have a choice at that point, right? Yes or no. And you never know what people are doing. Sometimes they're legitimately, they have a question for you. Other times they're looking to set you up. And sometimes, you know, you have that choice at that point. I don't know the man or I know the man. And yes, I'm a believer. Well, Peter, at this point, he fails on that. We find that uh, in Luke's gospel, another account of this in Luke chapter 22 and verse 58. You find here, it says, And after a little while, another saw him and said, You are also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. All right. I don't know if that's how he said it, but he made sure everybody heard it. Emphatically, I am not. It's not just staying silent. It's actually denying. Then, after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. So you see, you got a little detail that's added by Luke. Luke, that medical doctor, he was pretty good an hour later, okay? Not a little while later, but an hour later. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. So these extra details kind of paint the picture more, more specifically, I guess you could say. 
it doesn't change anything in the uh, the accounting on that. But it says, look at this though, and the Lord. This is important because Luke's the only one that includes this detail. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so Peter went out and wept bitterly. Luke, under Holy Spirit inspiration, pens the words that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Those eyes that were gentle eyes, the eyes that could look and have compassion on those who could not walk, those who could not speak, those who could not hear, those who could not see, those who had leprosy, those who were imprisoned, those who were demonically possessed, those same, same eyes that were gentle were also those eyes were like, they were tr- like fire. They looked right through Peter. And Peter knew exactly what he was. By the way, that's how Jesus is presented in the book of Revelation as the one who is the Lamb of God who was slain, but he has eyes like fire. You know what? God knows exactly what we are. He knows what we are in the dark. He knows that we deny him with our friends, but we admit that we're Christians when we're not Christians. He knows that kind of stuff. He knows it. And sometimes I find great conviction when I get into the Word of God, and the Word of God has this marvelous effect of purifying us, but also revealing to us exactly what we are. And you know what? I, I, there are days I, I think, well, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm doing pretty good. I, I've prayed today. I've read my Bible. I, I haven't gone out and done something that, you know, blow my testimony. And I think I'm doing pretty good, right? I get in the Word of God, and then I realize, wow, in my heart is far from you today, God. His eyes look right into the soul. And that's the way the word of God is. That's how the spirit of God works. He pierces right into the dividing of soul and spirit. Right? He knows the intents and the thoughts of the heart. He knows that I might be saying something and thinking another. Oh, that's the omniscience of the Lord. And you have the Lord looking at Peter, according to what Luke says. And it goes right through him on that. Let's go book, back to Matthew or Mark 14, <clears throat> and we'll go back down to verse uh, 66, right? That's where I was. And you have this denial that goes on, and uh, I want to just say a couple things about that, because there are reasons why Peter denied the Lord. There are reasons. Now, I'm not excusing him just because there are reasons, but there are probably reasons that we all have had for failing the Lord. I think one of them uh, is found in who Peter was in himself, and that he was overly confident in himself. Now, mind you, we live in a society where self-confidence is taught more and more and more to a point where you can miserably fail, and everybody says you succeeded, all right? And everybody knows you failed, but you can't say that, all right? And it, that, that's, that's the kind of self-confidence that is dangerous, all right? By the way, Jesus never did that with his disciples, he didn't look at Peter and say to Peter earlier, before Peter denied him, and say, Peter, you're such a good disciple. You're just, I, I'm giving you 100, 103 for the extra credit, you know. I, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to give you, you know what, Peter, you'll never fail. Peter, you follow me, and you will be blessed beyond measure. 
You'll have new clothes and a new house and new everything. And you'll have lots of money. And, you know, this guy's that preached that, by the way. You know, Jesus never said that. Actually, Jesus' message was a little harder than that. <laughs> he looks at Peter and he says, you're going to fail me. You're going to fail me before the rooster crows three times or twice. You're going to fail me three times. That's pretty specific. Uh, would you continue on when <laughs> someone says you might fail? You might. And you know, that's the hard part of sometimes discipling somebody. And Jesus is the model of discipler. It's hard to give over something that you think you've got a handle on, you're doing really well, and give it over to somebody that might fail with it. And that's why people don't disciple. Because they think, ah, you know, I, I, I'll do it. Or somebody else can do it better. But this person, I don't know. I think of that because I've run into people. I, when I used to teach at Bible school, we'd get every year. A fresh crop of students come in, you know, right out of high school, most of them. And they'd come in, and you'd look across that classroom. And, and I mean, I always loved them and thought that was great and all that. But I thought, oh, man, these guys are the they're, they're worse than last year's, you know. And they certainly weren't like our class when we went, you know, in the day. And you look out and you say, how in the world are we going to turn them loose to go into the jail ministries, to go out on singing ministries, to go and do evangelism and knock on people's doors and say they're from our school? Oh. And you know what? Every year God would just break my heart and smash me over and over again as I watched these these weak, fumbling vessels that would come out and they would turn their lives over to the Lord and they'd go out and they'd witness and I would think, I wouldn't say it that way. And somebody would respond and get saved. They'd come back and say, hey, I led somebody to Christ. I saw some guys in the jail get saved. You know, I was in Good News Club and three children trusted the Lord this week. And you'd hear that kind of testimony and I would think, how in the world? Because, because they're disciples. And you know what I also found out? That's me too. I go out and I miserably fail. I have gone out and said things that I wish I'd never said on when I'm witnessing to people. And I go back home and think, oh man, I don't know how that guy will ever, ever come out knowing the Lord because of me. And yet, I've seen God use that. In spite of, because that's the Spirit of God. He works in spite of us many times. But He uses weak vessels, flawed vessels, vessels that miserably fail sometimes. And I'm not just talking about like techniques and stuff like that, but I know guys that have gone out, and you know, I, I hate to say it, I've done this too. When I was a new Christian, doing things I shouldn't have done sometimes, you know, sinful things, only to realize later, man, this is wrong, and having to repent from that. And as I repented, God restoring and, and healing and, break, you know, doing that. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful. And I can tell you, though, one of the worst things is to be overly self-confident and go into something and think everything that I do and say is going to be just, you know, perfect. You're going to, you're going to miserably fail. It's like the young preacher, first sermon. You know, he, he came down the aisle. He had his Bible tucked under his arm. And he just strutted down the aisle. He came up and he delivered his sermon. And it was awful. Just terrible. And he knew it. And he went down from the pulpit with his head down like this, his Bible kind of hidden, you know, and snuck out before the last verse of the song. And guy in the back came and met him and tried to encourage him a little bit. But he said this, he said, son, if you had gone up like you came down, you would have come down like you went up. Sometimes we need more God confidence and less self-confidence. And by the way, 
God will give a confidence and a boldness that's attractive, far more attractive than a self, strictly a self-confidence. And I'm not, not throwing that all under the bus. I'm just saying we have to, we're going to fail ourselves and we're going to fail each other. You better have some confidence in someone who doesn't fail. And Jesus never fails, right? Amen. There was a defiance also on Peter's part. And I have verses with this. I, I run out of time, so I won't go too far. But there's a, uh, there, there are a number of, of uh, verses in the Old Testament that prophesied of the very event that would take place. And, you know, we sometimes have this defiance, like, I'm not going to really believe the Word of God. And yet, do you think Jesus taught them the Word of God in his three years with his disciples? Yeah, he did. In uh, Zechariah, in chapter 13, verse 7, listen what this says here. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and then I will turn my hand against the little ones. You know? That's a prophecy from Zechariah. By the way, that is a prophecy that is uh, uh, connected to the deity of Christ, who Christ is. Uh, it, he is God, deity meaning God. The Bible says here, and in the Hebrew it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion. The word companion is not just like a friend, a companion, but it's, my, it's amethi, and it means my co-equal. He is my co-equal. It's, that's how the word is used. It's only used that way. So here, the Lord is speaking, says the Lord of hosts, that's God, Yahweh, and he says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, that's messianic, that's talking about Messiah, against the man, that's God-man, right? Jesus put on flesh, who is my fellow, my companion. He's my co-equal. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was God the Son. As God the Father is God the Father. As God the Holy Spirit is God the Holy Spirit. The three in one. The Trinity. And I, I find that, by the way, is a good verse. If you have people that knock on your door and they deny that Jesus is really God. Because that's what they believe. Go to verses like that and say, look that word up. Because the Lord himself, Yahweh, Jehovah, says. He says that there is one that's my equal. So who is that? Just ask him that. Um, the Bible speaks that. you think that Peter would have known a verse like that? Yep. And it just talks about the prophecy concerning this. And because God told it, said it would happen, the people who did it still were responsible, just as Judas was responsible for his actions. Peter was responsible for his actions. I think the other area, and there's denial. Here's another issue that was wrong with Peter. And I'm, I'm piecing this together, but... You ever, you ever get the Bible and you, here I am preaching it and I'm convicted. <laughs> I get convicted of reading the scriptures and I'm sometimes before I can say the words. And you know what? Here's a big one. Prayerlessness and indifference. Where was Peter in the garden earlier that night when Jesus was praying? He was sleeping. He was sleeping. He was there. At least he showed up. The other, a lot of them didn't show up. But, you know, he fell asleep. It really wasn't a big deal. See, I don't think Peter understood that by... Jesus just had finished the meal with him. He had just told him he was going to be betrayed. He had told them he was going to be crucif- killed. He even alluded to crucifixion with Peter. He, he, you know, outstretched arms. He, he was going to be crucified. 
I mean, that's how they executed people. All that. And where's Peter? I don't really care. I'm going to bed. I fell asleep. Sometimes we become indifferent and we become prayerless. And both are, well, prayerlessness will lead to indifference. I have found that as I pray for people, uh, not only believers and people I like, but people I don't like sometimes, or people I really don't know if I really want to minister to them, you know, that kind of, as I pray for them, I become concerned about them. And I begin to realize, uh, you know, instead of hating somebody, why don't you pray for them? Imagine if Christians did that today. Think of all the, the social issues and the, the, yeah, the, the issues in our world today where, you know, there's hostility, right? Imagine if, if the true believers just stopped and said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for my world. I'm going to pray for people that don't even believe what I believe. I'm going to pray for people that hate me. I'm going to pray for those that persecute me. I'm going to pray for those that despitefully use you. By the way, Jesus said that, right? All the, that this stuff I'm quoting that he said to do, right? But if you don't, you'll become indifferent. And who cares, right? Who cares if, if uh, 49 people die in a shooting at a gay bar? Who cares? That should bother us. That should bother us not because of the issues, the symptoms, and all that stuff. It should bother us because somebody died. Somebody went off into eternity. and Did they know the Lord? Did they not? I don't know. Should you be indifferent to that? No. And you know, I think that's the answer to things. It's Christ. Christ wouldn't be indifferent to it, would he? Where was Christ that night? He was praying. And as Luke puts it, he was sweating and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood. That hurts. That's the kind of prayer that is a faithful prayer. And I'm thankful that Jesus always is praying. And when I'm not praying, when I'm sleeping and I'm indifferent, the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Lord, you're alive today, and you're awake, and you're praying, and, uh, you know, all that, right? Man, my time is almost out. <coughs> I'm trying. There we go. All right, good for another hour. All right. <laughs> Blame Chris. Uh, next, there's an impulsiveness, an impulsiveness. I have discovered all of us are different personalities, right? Some people are more impulsive than others. But if you're an impulsive person, you better be warned, all right? Don't jump into something until you've examined it, right? And just do that. I've shared a story before of my friend John. When we were missionaries in Ukraine, we were walking one day through a big um, uh, soccer. It was actually a soccer field that was overgrown. It hadn't been mowed in years and things, grass up to your waist and places. And we're walking along. And all of a sudden, this big black snake slithers off, ahead, uh, slithers off ahead of us. John, who's from Saskatchewan, Canada, Alberta, I guess is where he's from, but he, he reaches down, he grabs this snake by the tail, and he lifts it up. John, being about 6'4", has a snake that's about the same height, all right? And it's winding up and hissing at him and all this. And he says to me, he says, do they have poisonous snakes in Ukraine? And I, I said, now's not the time to ask that question, you know? <laughs> That's impulsiveness. And you know what? You're in trouble at that point. And he's like, I can't get rid of it. How do I get rid of it? I mean, things want to kill him. Well, he finally swung it and threw it, you know. Okay. I have friends like that, all right? I've never done anything like that. I've done other impulsive things. And you have too, and you know it. 
Peter does some impulsive things. Here he is. He's in, instead of not saying anything and just waiting a little bit, he has to say something. And you know what? There's some of you that are sitting right here, and you're just like that. All right? I'm pointing the finger, right? And I'm, I can do it too. But listen, in the moment of silence, and you've got to say something. Even if it's dumb, you've got to say something, right? Yeah, don't do that. Just wait sometimes. Stop. All right. Impulsiveness is a big one. And that showed up time and time again with Peter. And, and sometimes it's to the benefit of it. Peter jumps out of the boat when Jesus says, come walk on the water. He walks on the water. And then Peter realizes, what did I just do? And he begins to sink, right? Jesus rescues him out of that. I'm thankful that even when you're impulsive, often God gets a hold of you and just takes care of that, right? Um, the other thing is this, is that his relationship in proximity to Christ was not right. You find here, back up to um, our, our text, and I've got to jump ahead to verse 66. And let's back it up. I was supposed to actually, I probably was in the right verse there at that time. Um, <clears throat> where are we? Verse 54. Thank you. Um, it says here, And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. But Peter followed him at what? A distance. Or from afar, I think the King James says. Or far off. Uh, listen. <laughs> he was, didn't want to stick too close to Christ. And you know what? If you're not going to stick too close to Christ, you're going to get yourself in trouble. When you're close to somebody, and you, you know them and you're there with them, you're quick to defend them, aren't you? I know I've had that happen. I've had friends before that as I'm out in, in some other buddy, somebody, somebody's company, they begin to criticize one of your friends, right? And, and it's not warranted. And I've stopped and corrected them right away. Yeah, I know that guy. And what you're saying is not true. Peter, though, because he was following Christ at a distance, he wanted to keep his distance. And by the way, there's a lot of people, that's how they follow Christ. And they follow him at a distance. They, they know about him. They know, if I, if I probably get a little close to this guy, it would be good, but uh, it's dangerous to get close to Christ. You know why it's dangerous to get close to Christ? Is because when you get close to Christ, the things that happened to Christ, he was crucified, he died, his, he had to deal with sin, right? Not his sin, but the world's sin. When you get close to him, you have to deal with the holiness of God. Because the closer you get to Christ, the more holy you realize He is and how unholy we are. And you have to deal with it. But it's not comfortable and it's dangerous. But it's good. <laughs> it's a good kind of danger. Peter did not want to come too close. And there are many that are sitting in churches across our world today and they, they're following Christ at a distance. Don't you be one of them. Listen. Follow him as close as you can. Turn to him in faith, in repentance, and say, Lord, I believe, I trust you. And you know what? He'll save you from your sins. That's what the Bible says. It's that simple. You just trust him. Turn from your sin, trust him, and he will forgive, he will cleanse. But, you know, for the believer, we're not just to end there. We're to keep walking with him and become a disciple. That's someone who's a student, who is a disciplined student. It means I want to be more like the guy I'm emulating, the master and you won't be, you'll, you'll never become like that person you want to follow unless you're close to them, right? 
We follow Jesus at a distance, not because he wants us to be at a distance. He says, come on to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest, right? His invitation is constantly there, always there. His invitation was there for Peter. And, but you know what? You have, to, you have to come close to him. And quickly, the other thing I noticed about Peter, he was among bad company. What is Peter doing sitting in the court of Caiaphas with the enemy? That's what I call it, you know, the enemy. Because these guys were conspiring to kill Christ, and Peter's there. And you know what? He's warming himself by their fire. I think it would have been better just to run for the hills, if anything, <coughs> than to go in and just take up and sit by the fire of someone who hated Christ. And there's a principle there, as the scripture says, you know, um, bad company corrupts good manners. You know, that's, there's a principle in Proverbs that talks about that as well. And also in Corinthians, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. If you're going to sit among the crowd and, and that are telling dirty jokes all day long, guess what? You're going to find yourself laughing at those things, and then all of a sudden you'll tell them. <laughs> because you, you just, it's the way that flows. It's easier to pull somebody down than to pull somebody up, right? And that happens. The warning is there. Proverbs 13.2, He that walks with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Solomon said it well. Beware. Well, Peter has remorse. He goes out and weeps, and the word is to weep bitterly. It was most likely great heaving sobs that were coming from him. He felt bad what he did when the Lord looked right through him. And the Lord sees that. The Lord doesn't speak to him. He just remembers his word. And if that's where it ended, we would all say, what a failure. Let's go home and just weep with him, you know. But it doesn't end there, does it? You find out instead that Jesus, who looked right through Peter and saw his sin, saw who he really was in the dark when no one else saw, even when Peter was in denial, he looked at him. He was the same one who could look beyond that and see Peter being used and restored and brought back into a right relationship. And one of my favorite verses in all the scripture, and I have a lot of those, so I don't know if I can really say that now, but I I do. My wife says I say that way too much. Uh, But Mark chapter 16, verse 7. This is after the resurrection. Listen what they they say here. It says... This is the um, angel. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples. Okay, that's good. Why? Because the disciples were hiding. They're actually in a locked upper room. They're, they're hiding. <laughs> hoping that they don't get caught. And look what it adds there in this section. Mark adds this. And Peter. And Peter. That he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as you said to you. And he goes on. You see, Jesus wanted to make sure his disciples knew he was raised from the dead. But he wanted to make sure, extra sure, that Peter also heard. I'm thankful. You might deny Christ. You might have denied Christ. You might have failed him in many ways. But you know what? There is hope, isn't there? He wants you to know today. That he died for your sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. Isn't that great? That's the gospel. And he wants you to know that and to follow him. Will you trust him today? That, that, that's an invitation, not from me, but from him. 
draw close to him and he'll draw close to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the account of Peter. We thank you for the restoration that was given to him. And that, Lord, even later you would recommission him and these other fearful disciples who would go out and stand with great courage in a world that hated them, in a world that was opposed to them. And yet they would, by the power of God on their lives, reach that world. Thank you that they took this seriously. And, Lord, the the message was passed on from generation to generation to even today in this very room. We're hearing the word of God. We're beneficiaries of that. But thank you for who you are. May we draw close to you today. And again, Lord, I I plead with anybody here who needs to repent and come to you, that they might do so even in the quietness of this moment. They'd walk out of here in a right relationship, drawing closer to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.